0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today at the third day of the Untitled Art podcast, live recording from Miami Beach at Untitled Art's 11th edition. I am Clara Andrade, the Director of Development and Programming at Untitled Art. I am pleased to introduce today's podcast The Power of XR Technologies on the Art World, Talking Digital and VR Exhibitions, with Oliver Middle, founder of Vortic Art, and artist Gretchen Andrew. In today's panel, they will discuss the impact of XR technologies and how digital and VR exhibitions solutions can encourage new dialogues between artists, galleries, and collectors in a sustainable and accessible way. Additionally, we are thrilled to welcome Vortig as our digital partner as this year's edition. The art world-leading sustainable digital exhibition platform is releasing 3D and virtual reality experiences as an extension of the first NEST sector. In addition to furnishing the NEST prize by Vortic, awarding the sector's best booth at the first 11th edition. I am excited to share that we just announced the winner of this prize that went to Casa Hoffman Galleria from Bogotá, Colombia. Do not miss their thoughtful curation and visit them at booth C-32. I also want to give a brief introduction uh, about today's speakers. Gretchen Andrew hacks systems of power with art, code, and glitter. Through her merger of traditional painting and technology, she reimagines reality with art and desire. In 2018, the Victoria and Albert Museum released her book, Search in Gene Art, Starting in 2019, she became known for her vision boards and associated performative internet manipulations of artwork institutions of Freeze Los Angeles, the Whitney Biennial, the Turner Prize, and the cover of Art Forum. Oliver Miró is co-founder of Vortig, an art-lead platform that aims to create a connected, collaborative conversation around immersive 3D augmented reality and virtual reality exhibitions. The impetus behind the founding of Borti was a moment where, after more than a decade spent in sale, in the sales team of a leading international gallery, Oliver Miró became conscious that the art world lacked a truly high quality way of presenting artworks digitally that could be engaging enough to captivate collectors, inspire artists, and help move galleries and institutions towards a more sustainable future. I am uh, very happy to to count with you today at the Untitled Art Podcast, Uh, excited about this digital uh, partnership and for much more to come, Uh, excited as well that Casa Hoffman was the awardee gallery. And now, Oliver, Gretchen, I hand the mic over to you. Thank you. Thank you so
1: much.
2: So it's a pleasure to be here. Um, as sponsors of Untitled. It's been such an incredible week and really incredible galleries that have participated in the fair. And um, it was a very difficult decision because there were so many great galleries. Um, so it's, um, it's just a... It's been an incredible week and we're very proud to have partnered with you on it. So we're, I'm here today with, with Gretchen, who... I tend to have really interesting conversations with. Um,
1: We hope you agree.
2: (laughs) So we thought it would be a really nice idea when we were invited, and when I was invited to invite Gretchen um, to participate in this talk.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: So um, we're coming at this conversation from quite different angles, and I think we often come across this in our conversations. Um, So, you're very much exploring the artistic side, and I'm very much exploring the way to present artists' work in the digital environment. So, as as a starting point, can you tell us a little bit about your practice and um, how you've come to be so involved in the digital area?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I'm Gretchen, and... Um, I come from a tech educational background and worked briefly in Silicon Valley. Um, It feels like a lifetime ago at this point, but um, my background and my education very much came from that environment. And when I decided that I was going to become an artist, and that was actually just a decision, I decided the tech world wasn't for me. I believed that technology could turn me into something new. And so I posed it almost as a performative, um, I don't know, like, experiment. Like, can the internet and can technology make me into something I'm not yet? So, from the very beginning, even though my journey took me through figurative oil painting with Billy Childish for five years, um, and now, like, mainly like algorithm manipula- manipulation is like my bread and butter right now, um, I was always curious about these relationships between the digital and the physical world, or really the lack of distinction or the blurred distinction that I was starting to see 10 years ago. And, um, I remember my very first virtual reality exhibition in 2015. Um, I was there so excited to talk about the conceptual underpinnings of what was happening. And the gallery I was working with at the time was like, oh, how great is this? We don't need to ship your artwork from London. It was like the only thing that they could get excited about, um, and I've seen the conversation advance, and I've seen Vortech really advance that conversation in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, so most recently, we've had a couple of your works in the gallery, um, which we've been scanning. And I think there's some pictures, hopefully some, some, some time they'll pop yeah. up during the talk. Um, but I think you know, there are huge challenges with capturing and scanning. Um, and making sure that the, the artwork in the, how it looks in real life is actually represented in the virtual space.
1: You know, so my, um, my career really took off during the pandemic and I do these physical collages. Like that's my, my market is an on canvas assemblage. I call them vision boards. And I found out from one of the galleries I work with in Berlin that a lot of people in the PDF form thought that my work was a digital collage. They thought it was Photoshopped and then printed maybe. And so I was very early on as these things were flying around the world during the pandemic and no one could see them in person. I had two museum shows during the pandemic that only one of them was ever open to the public. And so I like became again, very interested in VR and digitization as a way to, convey what these things actually were. Um, so yeah, the Vortec team has been dealing with mirrors and gems and foam flowers, and what else have you- <laughs> I mean, all,
2: all of the things that the tech team you know, <laughs> are scared of. Um, so it's been a, an, an incredible challenge, but we're really on the verge of, I think, being able to capture anything. And scanning techniques have been, you know, since I set Vortec up in 2016, you know scanning was an incredibly complex process and we're going now towards the the realms of actually being able to scan on an ipad um which is what we've been experimenting with in the last couple of years since the lidar scanners have um have come onto an ipad it just it, the cameras are incredible you know i remember in 2010 i was on uh, i was going on a lovely holiday and I wanted to take some pictures and I bought a one megapixel camera, you know, and I was thinking, Oh, no, that's incredible quality. And just 10 years later, you know, we have 40 megapixels on our phone, which is like, the advances are quite incredible.
1: Well, that's, I think one of the interesting questions in this space that you deal a lot with that maybe you can speak more of, which is you're working to change the way or the way our, our institutions are changing And you're a big part of um, helping us adapt to that change. But how are you dealing with the changes in technology, especially, you know, the hardware has been a particular um, challenge?
2: So, yeah, so I set up WaterCup in 2016 and it was actually a chance encounter I had with VR. So I was walking through a department store in London and someone said, oh, come over and try this um, headset. And I thought, well. I'll try it on, I, I, don't know, I didn't know what to expect at all. And um, I put the headset on and there was, you know, things happening which were, it's like being in a big cartoon world uh, with dinosaurs. And I thought, well, that's very cool, but I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. I could take it home for the children, I'm sure they'll love it. But um, it was really over that, that period where I started to think, you know, we have some big pro- problems that, you know, well, issues that we face at the gallery um which is where I was working instead i'm working um one of the issues is that we're quite far away from the centre of London, so a lot of collectors would come in for the for to London for a weekend and they wouldn't come out to our space because we weren't in central this Mater. is
1: the gallerist view, you're very central in London, yeah
2: <laughs> um what are we, you n
1: one n one yeah,
2: so we would um yeah for sure mis- mis- collectors that were coming. But the other thing we were really struggling with was we didn't really have any way to present our artists' work in a, in a digital way that was actually something that people wanted to look at. So we all started to be... Um, our behaviour was very much influenced by like this instant nature of social media. So you'd be flicking through social media and the majority of the the audience experiencing our artists' works, it was literally just like, flick up, you know, look at it for three seconds and 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 flick away and onto the next thing. And instead, well, you know, huge amounts of different behaviour in like human conditioning, which is a really interesting conversation, which I know that you look at quite closely in your work. But um, for me, it was just disappointing because, you know, we put so much effort into these artists, so much effort into the shows that we do, and there was no real way of archiving them in a digital way or allowing people that couldn't make it to the exhibition experience it in the same way that you could when you were there. So putting it all together, I actually just thought with the the VR headsets, actually, this is an amazing opportunity. If I can bring people into the gallery using this technology, it's actually, you know, it could solve many of the challenges that we have. So then I started talking to people in the industry and they all were saying, oh, you know, by 2020, you know, you're gonna have 16, um, you're gonna have just incredible resolution. So um, I was like, great, so if we start developing it now, when this product's ready in 2020, the headsets are gonna be like, you're not gonna be able to tell if you're in, you know, reality or if you've got a headset on. And of course, like in hindsight, They were completely wrong and the the technology developed pretty slowly. And we were then put into a position where, you know, we'd built this incredible product and it was working in VR, but no one had a VR device at home or very few people had a VR device at home. So we suddenly, you know, were thinking, oh my goodness, we have to put the, um, the, the, the software into devices which people have instant access to. So we were left in this position where we have this beautiful technology software that we build, but everyone accessing it on their mobile phones, you know, Um, which was quite. um,
1: It's better than a PDF no?
2: It's better than a PDF, but still it was, you know, it was quite upsetting that we put so much into it and yet people were still accessing it on this tiny little screen and things did get better. You know, Um, recently with Samsung, they've, They've launched this incredible phone, which flips out, and it's almost like having a tablet screen. The bigger the screen, the better the experience, you know. Um, that you can have with this with this software, and um, we've really, really pushed the limits of what can be opened up on a mobile phone, you know. So um, the 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 technology is it's quite intensive with. You know the memory that it uses, which would crash a lot of phones. So the night before we launched this um, with the FourSix app, had a phone call from our CTO saying, "Just realised we can't open this on a phone before that was made before 2017." And he said, "Is that a problem?" I said, "Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a big problem because there's a lot of people walking around with a phone from 2011, 2012. Like we can't not allow those." You know, we can't not allow access from those. So we had to scale back every, all of the quality the night before we launched, which was incredibly stressful. Um, so constantly playing around with hardware challenges. But um, just in the last month, Oculus have released their new Pro headset, which is actually, I'm incredibly impressed with. Um, it takes some of the, um, you know, sometimes you feel like you're trapped in a headset. Especially in Miami, where it's very hot, <laughs> like you know, it really squashes your face. And if
1: you wear glasses, right? It's like a oh. hole.
2: Yeah. So it's actually it, we are seeing these improvements coming. I mean, from your perspective, in terms of making work, how are you seeing the technology and the hardware develop?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's interesting you said that the technology developed quite slowly, um, which is absolutely true. Um, but also, it was. The market developed even slower and that was really not expected i think by like, people who went into it in the art world in a very bold way um the collections that were collecting vr native work um, galleries art fairs you know it, it's really just it's not a consumer device yet and so um i i stopped making a lot of um vr work kind of early on um i continued to use it as a tool continued to think about it as really an artistic process of digitization. One of the things that I think is very interesting is, you know, as an artist, you'll have a exhibition photographer or you'll get the PDF. The tent might be falling down, but the good news is it won't fall down in VR, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> and um, just like one of the things that I I like from the software side is that, like I said, I believe that our digitization is an artistic process. You can't just take a photo of a piece of artwork and say that it's the same. I think about this in terms of Sherry Levine's after Walker Evans. Um, more of a feminist statement from her. But taking a photograph of a photograph is not just a creative act. It actually, the quality changes. We think of cameras as these things that are neutral. But there's so much algorithm. There's so much logic. There's so many decisions in how that operates that um, I know that when you work very closely with artists, I, the Doug Akins is like one of my favorite examples of this as well. You're not just scanning using the latest technology. You're making a million micro choices about how you scan it, which is why when I gave you my vision boards, you had to give, make what 20 million micro decisions about how to scan it (laughs) because it's not you're using a merger of technologies and scanning technologies depending on the material, right?
2: Yeah, so Doug was a, a really interesting um, example of how the technology can be used. So Doug has all of these incredible ideas in his, in his mind and conceives so many ideas and will often make 3D files or 3D models of how this will actually look um, before he, the, the, the sculptures are put into production. Um, But what we often face are huge challenges with um, production costs or actually feasibility. Um, So Doug and I had these really interesting conversations and sort of explored what could be done. And then we partnered for a year. So Doug and his team, the Vortec tech team, working for over a year to produce this four rooms. And each room is... um, you know, an experience in itself. So what Doug really loved about it, and and something I really love about the technology is, you know, you're often limited by the physical space that you're presenting work in. And so for Doug to be able to conceive not only the artworks, but the space, it changed everything for him, you know, so he was able to really create the perfect environment for his works to be experienced. And I think that's opened up, you know, for artists' whole new realm, you know, because we are very often, you know, when we work with artists, we say, say, well, you know, we'll have a show and it will be in, you know, next year and it will be in this space. And um, there's not so much, I mean, that artists can do to change that space. You know?
1: We try, don't we?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you talk to someone like Elm Green and Dragset, they would disagree. Um, but, yeah, the majority of the artists that we work with, they think, okay, this is a space, and I'll conceive the... the, Sometimes
1: constraints are quite good.
2: Yes, yeah. Um, So going further from Doug's project, we've been working with, you know, really incredible architects and um, interior designers over the last year to create fictional spaces which are, you know, what... I would say, is representative of the feeling of the area that we're looking at. So, for example, with our partnership with Freeze, we created this um, this feeling of, you know, looking out the window and seeing Seoul in the
1: And I assume you have the ocean here today?
2: <laughs> yes. For Miami, we have the beach, yeah, with palm trees.
1: I mean, the context is so important, right? Like, um, even if you're not here, to... You know, even experience, I, the first time I ever visited this fair was through a different VR platform that previously used to have the fair. And I just remember being like, whoa, it's not really on the beach, is it? And then I got here and I was like, oh, it's really actually on the beach. This is amazing. Um, and I think that, you know, that sense of place that can be created can be both fictional or surreal. I like, um, I think of Doug Aiken's spaces as quite surreal. Um, but there's still a context that you're exhibiting in, and the context is mediated through the device. You have an aesthetic, um, you know, relational aesthetic to a device. If you're looking at it like this, if you're looking at it like this, if your nose is too hot, it becomes part of the artwork in some kind of way. Um, And I know that you've recently launched your curated section. Um, How much are the curators getting involved in the design of the space as well?
2: It's been um, actually a subject of, a lot of discussion. We're we not supposed uh, to talk uh,
1: about this. <laughs>
2: that's fine. Um, it's a really interesting one because what we didn't want to happen. So uh, the, the first few curators that we started working with, they wanted to do different things with different spaces. And then we quite quickly realized that it's going to turn into a competition of who can create the best space. <laughs> that's
1: that's going to be a lot of work for your Yeah,
2: team. And it's really not. What the intention of the um, the curated section was, the, the you know the, the the whole intention behind the curated section was to give curators a platform because it's something unless you work in a major gallery or you know a big museum, you know you really struggle to you know have you know, find spaces and audiences for your work and I think Vortic is a platform which tries to give a voice to everybody and anyone can come on and have that voice and it's really an ecosystem you know so going back a little bit to the aesthetic it's it's not only um you know i find a lot of vr it's gone down the cartoon um <laughs> route so you know you look at a lot of um a lot of the vr works or environments and you feel like you're in a cartoon and it it's not what or a
1: a, creepy video game.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's not what um, initially attracted me to VR. Like I really loved the idea of being able to transport someone, you know, if I'm in like my wife, we, I was talking to her this morning and she was in VR in London and she was in the Miami space and she felt like, you know, you just don't get that from a cartoon. Like I wanted to transport people to a different place. From wherever they are in the world, and that, of course, feeds into accessibility. There's billions of people every year that don't get to experience a beach, or you know, even sunshine. And um, I just love that idea. And it's you know, it, you have the bonus of the art involved in the platform, but ultimately, it takes people um, to places that they couldn't go to otherwise. And I, I just love that feeling of. Um, accessibility but more so the being able to experience different culture and creating these cultural conversations worldwide it's so important with you know just the way of the world and the you know the way that it's um, evolving and becoming more everyone's becoming more separated um, in the world and I think VR is and, and especially with the cultural side that Vortic offers it's a way of pulling back you know, everyone into understanding different cultures. Because I think this is where the issues are really coming from is this misunderstanding of everybody, you know, and everyone has so many opposing views which are you know slowly becoming more extreme and more extreme. And actually it's just a mis it's all it all all of the issues are coming from misunderstandings. So creating a platform that can pull all of that together and give access to culture from around the world to try and understand and try and make sense of it um, I think it's a really important thing for the world to have
1: yeah there's almost like a um, like I tend to come from a bit more of a cynical approach to the, the technology anytime someone tells me that a technology is going to bring us closer together I get a bit skeptical um, but I do very much believe that artwork does do that, that, um, not necessarily interacting. I mean, I love the avatar stuff that you guys have going on. Um, hanging out in VR, um, is very fun. And, but the, I think there's so much artwork that does remind us of otherness and of different cultures and getting to see and experience more of that. Um, like I, I think, I think is part of that process. Yeah, um, it's very much yeah. thinking about the art world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the, <laughs> again, the, ava- the, the, the avatars but are great. But. <laughs> I think the,
2: um, the platform as an ecosystem for the art world is, you know, you can walk in there and you can really experience anything from any part of the world, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's experiencing art and different cultures. Um, so the technology in its purest form, no, it doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. But what we're creating is an ecosystem for the art world, you know, so wherever you are in the world, you can experience art from other areas of the world. I think it's really, really important, you know, and it's not this Instagram, flick it through like for three seconds, because, you know, you'll often just be looking purely at the aesthetics. You don't really get the chance to stand in front of a work. And that's what Vorty really offers you. And it gives you context.
1: of you know. scale
2: in sense of scale and just being able to hear curators or the artists talk about the work has been really what we've focused on in, in this year. So how can we, you know, we, the, it looks beautiful, but actually people want more. And the issue that we face um, from the VORSA perspective, which again is a, a, a big hot topic of conversation, is really, um, you know, you, you have different people coming to the platform. So you have people that are looking at art for the first time and want to hear an artist talk about the work and then you have a collector who has 20 works by that artist understands it inside out and would like to know something else you know a completely different perspective we
1: need to get you some tracking cookies in there and like, <laughs> link it to the database of their works
2: yeah so this is this is uh not using cookies but you know where we want to personalize the experience um a lot more for you know so you can really choose and what you want to listen to and how you um, approach that work of art. Um, So that is, I mean, there's, there's a million things, you know, to think of when you're building something like this. Um, And I've just learned you have to be incredibly patient because I want to do everything, you know, all the time. Um, I want to build everything. And uh, (laughs) the, the team will often say, well, you know, concentrate on one or two things. I can't, my, I my the vision's too big for the um for what we can actually achieve in the short term. I mean we've been building it for six years and I look at it and I'm like, come on, we need to do like 10 times more than this, you know. It's um it's it's an incredible um challenge to hit. And also the more the team grows, the more opinions you get of what we should be doing, what you know, um so yeah, it just adds an extra dimension to to producing an ecosystem like this.
1: I mean, I know you've been pushed by um, the digitization of my work and by your team, but also by so many of the other artists that you work with. They'll come to you and they'll say, can I do this? Or how do we do this? Or um, sometimes what the expectation is that you just can. And we don't understand necessarily how difficult a certain task is. Um, It might seem quite trivial in the physical world. Um, Like every time I have digital exhibitions, not just in VR, but NFTs, digital work, digitally native work, pre-NFTs, I go to install in a gallery or a museum and I think, oh, this is going to be a breeze. It never is. Hanging paintings is way easier than anything digital. (laughs) I still don't understand how projectors and TVs work. The great team here today rotated the TV for us though. Yeah, yeah. Look
2: at that, it used to be vertical. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's always uh, an, an issue with the small team as well, because, you know, we're not Google, we're not, you know, 10,000 engineers. So we really have to choose our projects that we, we, we do carefully because we need to retain capacity, you know, capacity for the museums to produce what they want to show on the platform, for the galleries to, to show what they want but also to allow us to do these artist projects. Um,
1: Which is interesting of itself that you um, work with curators, you work with institutions, you work with artists, uh, you work with galleries, you work with art fairs. You've just gone through seven days in the art world and (laughs) um, have these um, relationships with all of them.
2: Um, Yeah, and that's really the the intention of the the platform is for everybody to be able to use it. it, it's going to take time for everyone to feel comfortable with it, um, but it's uh, it, it's it's really the the, the future for that um, for the platform is to, to have conversations between every all of the institutions, all the galleries. You know, it's the collectors, every part of the artist, every part of the ecosystem. There should be a conversation there to be had, and we want that conversation to be happening. On the platform you know so it's a big it really is a big vision but i feel like you know every year we make that step towards that um towards that goal um and it should be a really exciting place for people to come you know that's what the 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 platform the goal is you know we want people to you know for the content to be so engaging on the platform that you know, we have visitors every, every day coming to see, you know, what's new and that really is where we, you know, I'd love to get
1: to. Great. Um, I mean, that's great. You've just ended with your vision. Um, Anything else for like your final, I mean, I know you said you want to do everything all the time yesterday um, not generally how tech companies work. I know. Um. <laughs> i'm coming from a very
2: um non-tech background you know so the tech team says to me this just is not how it works and i'm so well let's try and make it work like this you know because everything's so logical everything's so thought out like step by step you know to produce one bit of functionality there's a whole process that goes into that you know from starting off to actually like from the UX, and then it goes into design, and then you know they start thinking about how they're going to code it, and and then test it, and then AB test it, and oh my goodness, it drives me mad. You know, I just want just want the functionality to be there, um, but I, this is what I've learned: is is patience, um, and don't expect everything to sort of straight away because it's just not going to happen. And if you try and push it, it just it won't work well, and it will detract from the the whole experience.
1: I mean, just to circle this back to the very beginning of this discussion, I mean, when I left tech 12 years ago, I think it's because I didn't realize that that's how the companies worked. And I wanted to go become an artist in which it worked at a different pace in a different way. Um, But it is always interesting um, working with the restrictions of the technology. And um, for me, that's something I find very interesting is what it can do, what it can't do, I tend to explore that more in my practice um, conceptually and with algorithms, but it's been very wonderful to really reconnect to where the technology is through this project. Um, who knows? So we we originally started working together on this through the National Gallery Residency Program, the NGX program. And um, we found it to be um, a lot about the relationship between whether or not and when and how. People want to engage with this technology, and that's been, um, I would say, thrilling to navigate with you and your team, but also very slowly thrilling.
2: It goes back (laughs) to the whole patience conversation. Yes, I
1: mean, we must be patient with the institutions, with the users or the collectors. Do you use the word users in your platform? I don't tend to, no,
2: actually. Um, We just tend to think of groups of users, so I'd always refer to artists or galleries or Mm. institutions. Um I think users yeah is is too broad for what we do um, which is again goes back to the issue of we we're, we're trying to case it for everybody, and I think we'll get there um but it's 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 hard.
1: I think you're most likely to get there, so
2: thank you um Should we take some questions?
1: Yes, uh I would like to now
0: open it uh, for questions to the audience. So, uh, if you can come here, yeah, and ask your
2: question. Thank you. My question is for Oliver.
1: You mentioned that your Vortex software, it's used by galleries, by museums. I wonder, is it easy to use? Galleries or museums, do they need to have their IT people using the software? Or it's, how does it work?
2: So this was something when I first started, I was working in the gallery and I saw all of my colleagues struggling with technology the whole time. And um, I vowed if I was to build this platform, that it would be really, really easy to use. And I wouldn't sit there every day and see people struggling to use it. So throughout the whole build over the six years, I've always thought about it from the, the gallery side. And creating and curating exhibitions has to be so simple that we've got to a place where you upload your image, you drag it onto the wall, and you light it exactly how you'd light it in a gallery. And it's that simple, and everybody can use it. In fact, you know, I over the summer, um, my children were off school, gave it to my eight year old daughter, so she was making paintings. And she made so many. I was like, let's make an exhibition on Forsyth. And she was doing it herself. I mean, she is very good at technology. And it seems like all of the children I meet are like, they just get it straight away. But yeah, I think people are really pleasantly surprised when they've used Forsyth um, to see how easy it really is to use it. There's nothing there to be scared of. Um, the complexities come is when you're trying to create animated sculptures or animated artworks and that really is you know we have full tech support from our tech team when people want to push it as far as they can such as Doug.
0: great thank you oliver is there any more questions
1: thank you um, my question is for gretchen um, you mentioned that at the beginning when you started your career as an artist you were
0: working a bit in vr but then stepped away from it do you see yourself in the future going back to using the VR in your practice or incorporating it in some way in other than like as a tool, but maybe like in you know?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I, mean, I think a lot about the medium specificity of VR as um, an immersive space, and I think um, I don't see myself making artwork that's sold as VR artwork. Um, I'm not particularly bullish on the market for VR artwork developing strongly. Um, but I, not that I'm only driven by the market, but it's a, a big team, a lot of production. It's almost like you're working in a movie studio, um, which becomes a very different job description, in my opinion, than my figurative oil painting propensities. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I do see it um, from its storytelling perspective. A lot of my work is somewhat complex in its implications and it often like you're seeing some of it cycle through here it's quite feminine quite girly it's intentionally almost in disguise a lot of tech work looks like tech work um, and I wanted to make something that almost dared its viewers to dismiss it because it's so technically powerful it's manipulating U.S. elections on Google and hacking into the art world um, and with with that um there's a story to tell that where that comes from what it's doing and i see the tool of that whether it's coming into my studio or doing the exhibitions going through artworks into other spaces um that's that's really the transformative nature is what i will use more i think
0: well i also have a question for oliver i think that The team and Oliver might hate me now. But I think that um, we all know that the the art world is a very social uh, industry. And we also know and experience that the art world has been very close to technology and innovation for many reasons. Age, it might be one thing, like collectors... uh, uh, well, they have a certain age, that means that also they don't feel that they are not that uh, used to uh, the new technologies or they don't like them that much. But, uh, and also uh, that social component. So for me, the question is, how bought it and how do you think uh, that uh, technology or the platform that you guys are uh, developing uh, can uh, fight with that, or, or help, or bring the social aspect?
2: Um, so, to answer that, I mean, I've always been, you know, the social side is coming, when you think of digital social side, now you think really of social media. And for me, Instagram is a platform that I tend to use, um, and all of the interactions coming from comments, you know? And I think people are very different when they comment, and social side is changing. People don't mind being nasty on, you know, it's called, I think, Keyboard Warriors, you know, and they will say anything um, that they wouldn't really say in, in real life, which is a really interesting dynamic to see. However, with Vortic, we're trying to create a, a community which interacts in a whole new way, um, technically. And we have been, as Gretchen touched on, working on a whole avatar system. So when you're in VR you can see who you're interacting with and you engage with them as if you were in front of them physically. So this has started very, very slowly and it will take, it will take years for it to be you know, used by everybody, I'm sure. But now every time that we do an exhibition at the gallery, I have 10 collectors, all who call me up and say, can we meet and walk around the exhibition together? So wherever they may be in the world, it feeds into the whole sustainability you know, part of what the platform is there for, they don't need to fly from New York to London to come and see the show, which they really want to see. We meet and we engage as if we were there together. And in fact, it's actually really sometimes more fun meeting someone like in that way than bringing someone into the gallery because they're in the comfort and they of their own home or environment and they feel very safe and they can often be a lot more relaxed and walking into what can be, you know, Quite an intimidating environment to walk into a gallery space. And again, it feeds into um, the accessibility of the art world and allowing people to walk into a gallery, but feel really, or a, a, an institution, but feel really, really comfortable there and doing so. And if they haven't felt like they're able to do that yet, we really hope this technology will give them the confidence to know what to expect when they walk into a, a gallery or an institution and feel really comfortable in doing so and allow far more people to have access to art, you know. We have so many people that would, um, you know, so many stories where, you know, they say, oh, well, the receptionist looks at me as if I'm crazy to be walking into the gallery, you know. And I say, well, no, it really shouldn't feel like that, you know. Everything, you know, the artists want everyone to view their work. Like they want the, those people in the in the galleries to be really accommodating um, and welcome people, but yeah, it's just something which builds up this reputation of the art world, which I think we need to reverse and overcome and, and really allow anybody to feel like they can walk into the, to the gallery. And I think hopefully we'll, we'll make a big um, dent into that and the confidence people have in doing so, purely through the very powerful you know social side that we do have. Um, it's also an incredibly important part for us, Our, head of technology is one of the um, adjunct professors at NYU in social VR. So it's something that he really is, you know, a huge believer in the technology um, and the power of that social side.
1: I also think I don't, we won't get into this deeply, but um, the social side of VR will definitely be pushed and intersect with the metaverse. And those are very social spaces. um, And they, don't have the production quality of Vortec. The art is um, maybe also lower production quality in a lot of times, but I've been to Christmas parties in the metaverse. I've exhibited in the metaverse. I've sold artwork in the metaverse. Like it's a um, whether or not you want it to happen, I mean, your world yeah. is going to overlap with that real we hard. had our Christmas
2: party last year, which was canceled because of you know, the new COVID. We had it in a, in a gallery space. And yeah. all of us had a headset at home. And we had our Christmas party, and I think we were even having cocktails together. So, um, it, and everyone enjoyed it, you know, and, um, and it was fun. And no one got in trouble, you know, like an almost Christmas party. There was no
1: like, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: And um, yeah, and I think we all came off that and felt that we'd had a real bonding exercise. And if we can have that for a, a Christmas party, then it can happen in any scenario. Thank you.
0: Great, thank you. Is there any more questions? Well, thank you very much for, for, for joining us today at Untitled our podcast. I would say then that let's see each other in the Metaverse very soon, and also I want everyone to invite, uh, to invite them to go and, and experience what Bortique, uh put together with the next sector uh, at the sponsor booth uh, and to see it Uh, in real life that is like a wonderful platform and again I think that a very necessary platform as well for for contemporary art.
2: Thank you so much for having us here and Thank 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 you Gretchen. Thank
1: you all for inviting me.
0: Thank you.